Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John chapter 10. We've been here in chapter 10 for a couple of weeks now. And today we're going to continue with verses 16 through 18, picking up where we left off last week. But I'd actually like to start reading from the beginning of the chapter this morning, and I want to do that for the sake of context. Sometimes it's helpful as we, as we break a larger section of Scripture down into its smaller parts, it's helpful to kind of go back and review a little bit. And, and uh, by way of review and by way of context, let's just start reading from the beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. And as you follow along in your copy of God's Word, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, John 10, 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And then verse 6 says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge 
I have received from my Father. So we've been seeing here in chapter 10 this wonderful illustration that Jesus used to help us see who he is, to help us understand who he is and what he accomplishes for us on our behalf. You heard it in the text. We've seen before that Jesus is the door. That is, he is the one way into the sheepfold of God. He is the one and only way in. He is also, as the door, he is also the protector of the sheep. He guards his own. He keeps them. He he guards the sheep from being stolen or being harmed by predators. He, he, he's trying to make the point here that he guards his own sheep from, from false shepherds. And then last week we noted that Jesus said he is the good shepherd. You heard it again in the text this morning. He's the good shepherd. And the remarkable difference we see here between Jesus Christ and all others is that he, as the good shepherd, he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. Not so those who are false shepherds. Those who are only interested in the sheep for what they can get out of the sheep. For what they can get out for themselves. Uh, False teachers are like the hired hand that you see here in the text, who's only there for what he can get. The hired hand's there for a paycheck. But Jesus came to be the door. The only way, the one and only way to God. He came to be the good shepherd, the one who willingly lays down his life for the sheep. For God's children, and I hope you call yourself a child of God, I hope you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For God's children, if that's you, that's an incredible gift that you ought to be grateful to God for, given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an incredible gift because the laying down of Jesus' life for our sin means forgiveness of sins. We we gain what we cannot accomplish in our own strength. We have the gift of forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And we have salvation, means we've been saved and we're being kept for all eternity in Christ, by Christ. And that's true of everyone who's repentant of sin and believes in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Now this morning we're looking at verses 16 through 18. And we see more here. I want you to see more of what it means for God's children that Jesus is the good shepherd. There's there's more good news. The good news keeps coming in this passage. So I want you to note this first. First note that With Jesus as the good shepherd, it means that Jesus gathers his own. With Jesus as the good shepherd, it means that Jesus gathers his own. Just as we see in verse 16, as Jesus says, look at your Bible, verse 16, and I have other sheep 
that are not of this fold. I have. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus, the good shepherd, gathers his own. But you look at this and you might wonder, but who are these other sheep that are not of this fold? Who are these other sheep? First, let's understand who Jesus is speaking to here. Who's he speaking to? Jesus is speaking to the Jews. So when he says here there are other sheep that are not of this fold, note that he's speaking of people who are not Jews. He's speaking of people who are not Jews. He he means that there will be believers among all the peoples of the earth. And so what Jesus is teaching here is that God has chosen to save people from every nation, from every race, from every people. Note also that Jesus is saying here that there are people who aren't yet believers that are a part of his flock. They don't know him yet. They don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet. But he knows them. Look again at what Jesus says in the rest of verse 16. uh, 16. I must bring them also. He knows them. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep. I must bring them also, he says, and they will listen to my voice. So there, there will be one flock, one shepherd, says Jesus. Jesus knows those. Jesus knows all those people whom the Father has given him. And when, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he calls them by name, he draws them to himself, he opens their eyes to see who Jesus is, he opens their ears to understand, they will hear his voice and they will recognize him as Savior and they will believe in him And they will be saved by him, and they will be kept by him for all eternity. That's wonderful news. It's incredible news. And we ought to glorify God for that good news every day. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to begin every day thanking God for the fact that he He saves you in Christ. And he keeps you in Christ. And Jesus knows you. And he calls you. He saves you. Let me point to two truths that ought to encourage you about this. First of all, two truths here that ought to encourage you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus was speaking here. If you've ever thought about this. But when Jesus was speaking here, he was speaking about you. If you're a believer in Christ. He was speaking about you. Praise God that he knows us by name. And he cares about us as individuals. 
Sometimes we can easily forget that. We get into our week and we find ourselves facing hardship and difficulty, maybe difficult decisions or difficult people, difficult family life, difficulty in the workplace, and you think you've been forgotten. But you have not been forgotten. The Lord knows you by name. And if you're his child, he calls you by name to himself and he promises your sins are forgiven and you are kept. He is keeping you. And not only that, he's given you his spirit to be with you always. And he's given you his word and he has given you the church. And he is all about equipping you for God-honoring choices in the midst of all that you're going through with God-honoring thinking in the middle of whatever you're going through. So let that encourage you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus was speaking about you here. Secondly, this ought to encourage you as you share the gospel with people around you. And I hope you look around you in your life and realize that God has put people in your life who need Christ, who need to hear the gospel. There are people, this ought to encourage you, there are people God is calling to himself. There are people God is drawing to himself. The trouble for you and me is that we don't know who they are. <laughs> you don't know who they are. God doesn't tell us who they are. He doesn't intend to. What does he tell us to do? He says, go and tell. There are people God is calling to himself, and you don't know who they are, but you can rest assured that as you share the gospel with whatever opportunities God has given you, whether that's actually being able to get out your Bible and read the Scriptures to someone, or whether it's able, you being able to say, in the midst of a normal conversation, I thank God for that thing in your life that you're thankful to God for, and you're not afraid to do it, even if somebody gives you a weird look for saying, I thank God for that in a God-honoring way. Or even if you don't get to say anything, that there are people God is calling to himself and drawing to himself and he intends to use you as part, of, as part of his plan to influence them toward Christ with the truth of the gospel and with the truth of the gospel lived out in you by your example. God is using, here's the point, God is using your obedience to fulfill his plans in drawing all those who are his to himself. So your job is to not concern yourself with whom God is drawing to himself, but your job is to concern yourself with living a God-honoring life, not to please anyone but God, to live a life that pleases the Lord, to go about your day dealing with those things that you face that are difficult, just like everyone else does, and yet, you face them with a different attitude because you know God knows you by name. And Jesus was speaking about you if you're his child. And you're part of his sheepfold. 
And he saves you and keeps you. And no one can harm you, ultimately, in this life. And your role is to declare the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. Live a God-honoring life and go about your business. And ask God to help you with your life, point people to Jesus, and ask God to give you opportunities to speak of the gospel with those around you, to anyone who will listen. But even if no one will listen, make sure that your life preaches. Listen, church. Listen, believers. That's your role in this world. That's why we're here. You've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and what a high calling that is. No matter what your profession, no matter what your family situation is like, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been called to a high calling and that is to be a sharer of the gospel. You've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You're a messenger of the gospel. So be encouraged And live life and do it with the boldness that God gives you in his spirit, with his word. It's the kind of boldness we hear from Paul in Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the rest of the world. Jesus knows those who are his own. He knows them. And they will know him when he calls to them. And God has chosen to use his church. That's you. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has chosen to use his church, his children. And he's chosen to use his word and his spirit to deliver the message of Christ. Because, again, as Paul says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Our role is to preach the gospel. Do it with your lips. Do it with your life. And as Jesus said when he described the the shepherd with the sheep back in verses 3 and 4, Those who are his will hear his voice and come. Verse 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And verse 4 says, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. What wonderful truths here. Now, I want you to note what else it means for God's children that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is a heavenly, godly example of humble submission to God. It's one of the things that we learn as we look at who Jesus is here and see him as the good shepherd. Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to be a godly example of humble submission to God. Look at verse 17 in your Bible again. 
For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I want you to note first that the Father loves the Son because the Son is obedient, because He lays down His life. Why? He lays down His life so that the sheep might be saved. And He does so so that He might take it up again. Paul says of Jesus, again in Romans 4, verse 25, that he was delivered up, Jesus, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus submits to the Father. The Father loves the Son. The Son gives his life for the sheep and then he raises himself up. If your faith is in Jesus, then Jesus was crucified for your sins and he rose from the dead for your justification. And God pronounces you righteous. That's what justification means. God pronounces you righteous because of Jesus, not because of you. <laughs> because Jesus is righteous. It's not for anything that you've done, it's not for anything that you've been able to accomplish in and of your own strength that you are declared righteous before God. It's because of what Jesus has done by submitting to the Father and going to Calvary, being crucified for your sins. And for this, the Father loves the Son. Take that to heart. But I want you to note also, by implication, that Jesus loves the Father. The Father loves the Son. Jesus, God the Son, loves God the Father. How do we know? Well, we know it because He humbly submitted Himself to the Father's will. It's an act of obedience, an act of love. Philippians 2.8 puts that truth like this, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Don't miss that phrase. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. That is a clear example seen in Jesus Christ of his love for God the Father. And that example... of Jesus' obedience, of laying down his life for the Father, in obedience to the Father, laying down his life for those whom the Father has given him. Jesus obediently laid down his life for those the Father had chosen and given him and were drawing to his Son. There's a clear example of the love of Christ for God the Father in his obedience. And if you love God, you obey God. That's what Jesus did. If you love God, you obey God. We hear the same truth elsewhere in the Bible. 
Now, you can't just say, I love God, and then go off and live in any way you wish, living in a constant state of rebellion against God. As Jesus says in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What is it to abide in his love? It means to be obedient. Live in obedience to him. And as the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, verses 3 through 5, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. And we hear this also, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So get this and note it. Love for God means obedience to God. And Jesus shows us what this looks like. How? By his own example of submission to the Father's will, going to the cross. Jesus' love for the Father is seen clearly in his obedience to the Father. So I have an important question for you to ask yourself. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, and someone were to ask one of your family members, someone close to you, or maybe a spouse, your child, your grandchild, or, or maybe a neighbor or a, a coworker, someone who knows you, spends time around you, and they asked that person if you loved God, would they be able to answer, oh, I know they love God because they obey God? That's what Peter says ought to be true of followers of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, when he says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, So that, why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's what that's pointing to. That's a visible good testimony of obedience to God by God's children. You see, that's one of the ways we preach the gospel. It's one of the ways we proclaim the truth. And when we get this wrong, this this is often one of the most damaging things to the gospel in the life of unbelievers. When people who say, I love God, I believe in God's word, I go to Chardon Baptist Church, and then they disobey God, 
What do people say? You know the word. Hypocrite. I don't go to church because Christians are hypocrites. May that not be true of you. May that not be true of me. What we see in the scriptures is that God intends for us to live with a visible good testimony before an unbelieving world. Even people who might call us evildoers would have their mouths stopped by our example of obedience to God. Also in 1 Peter, there's another example. 1 Peter 3, in fact, in chapter 3, he says of a wife with a husband who doesn't obey the word, 1 Peter 3, 1. And in fact, this is a powerful illustration of how all believers should practice their faith in Jesus, not only wives with unbelieving husbands, but with all, all people who have unbelievers around them. But here's what 1 Peter 3, 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You might think, I've got unbelievers all around me. A wife might say about her unbelieving husband, what can I do? I try to leave godly books lying around for him to read. I try to tell him that he's not living right. God says, you shouldn't even have to speak. Your life should speak. And and listen, this ought to be true of every believer. Of unbelievers around us, for every believer, our lives should speak. Preaching the gospel. No, the Bible says, as we face difficulty in sharing the gospel with unbelievers who reject the truth and push back against the truth, the Bible says, whether it's a a godly wife or a godly believer, the godly person around an unbelieving person ought to have obvious God-honoring conduct, a love for God that's seen in their obedience to God. So that without a word, so that without a word, there's a powerful witness because of the obedience of that believer in Christ. This should be true of all believers in so many situations. There, there may be no harder place to witness than to your own family, but it can be hard to gain a hearing for the gospel in lots of other situations also. But the way you gain a hearing for the gospel is by your example of obedience to God. That's what God is calling us to, and none of us is perfect in this. That's why we're here, to be encouraged with the truth, challenged with the truth, to live for God in this world, so that without a word, It's not that we shouldn't speak the truth of the gospel. We should. We should speak the truth of the gospel at every opportunity we get. If we have someone who will listen, but if we have someone rejecting us, rejecting the truth, saying, I don't want to hear that. 
And there are times in the workplace I would suggest that it's not appropriate for you to stand around preaching the gospel when you're being paid to do a job. But your life ought to preach. There's something else we can see in Jesus' humble submission to God. It's the fact that he gives his own life at the right time, at the appropriate time, at the time set forth by the Father. Again, this act of submissive obedience. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Later, much later in John 19, verse 11, we hear Jesus say, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Where does Jesus' authority come from? God the Father. We hear it also in Matthew 26, verses 53 and 54, when Jesus says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? That's Jesus speaking about being obedient to the Father's will. And Jesus humbly submits to the Father. And not in some things. He submits to the Father in all things. And he receives his authority from the Father in all things. And because of his authority given to him by God the Father, all who are given by the Father to the Son for salvation will be saved and will be raised up on the last day because of the Son's obedience. John 6, verses 39 and 40, we looked at this some time ago. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's an instructive example of submission seen in Jesus, the Good Shepherd, as he submits to the Father's will and plan. We see it here. The Son submits to the Father. The Father loves the Son as he lays down his life for all that the Father draws to him. Jesus willingly lays down his life for his sheep. And Jesus saves All the Father draws to him. And Jesus rises from the dead on the third day. And because he does, because he did, he will also raise up all those who trust in him. So Jesus has other sheep that aren't aren't yet believers, that that haven't trusted in him yet. And God chooses us, his church, to be the witness of his goodness towards sinners through his son, Jesus Christ. God chooses us as his church to be the 
the example of godliness before the world, of how God moves in and takes up residence in people and, and changes them from the inside out. Paul testifies in Ephesians 3.8 that he, he was sent by Christ. That's, that's like us. He was sent by Christ to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's us. And if you're God's child today, you too are to show forth and demonstrate by your obedience to God, your love for God, the unsearchable riches of Christ as you live in the world, as you go about your work, as you go about your business, as you go about your family life. Why? Because God has other sheep. Other sheep whom he will bring into the fold of the one true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And you are to submit to the Father's will and plan, living in God-honoring submission to God before all who watch. People are watching you. All who listen, as you have an opportunity to tell them of the gospel, the good news of the good shepherd, who is Jesus Christ. What a privilege is ours. What a high calling is ours. And what a joy ours will be when we walk with Christ in this way.